and welcome back to another episode of Working Wife Happy Life. I'm your host, Bethany Baines. It is the day after Mother's Day here in the U.S., and I hope for all of our listeners out there, whether you are a mother, are missing or mourning your mother, are a mother-in-waiting, a mother-to-angel babies, a stepmother, a bonus mother, any other form of mothering that you've either given or received, that your love and your support were celebrated in some way over this past weekend. And I get it. It's complicated. I I think motherhood is like baking. You really never know how it's going to turn out until it's done. So hopefully this ride, this experience, you know, is made all the more fulfilling by those around you in your village. And for the times where you're feeling especially vulnerable, today's episode is discussing just that. Melody Wilding is with us to discuss her new book, Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking and Channel Your Emotions at Work. Melody is a licensed master social worker and executive coach who has coached hundreds of private clients from CEOs and Fortune 500 execs to leaders from the U.S. Department of Education, the Federal Reserve, and the United Nations. Being highly attuned to your emotions, your environment, and the behavior of others can be the keys to success, but they can also lead to overthinking everything and burnout. In her new book, Melody examines the intersection of sensitivity and achievement in the workplace and offers neuroscience-based strategies you can use to reclaim control of your life and reach your full potential. Trust Yourself offers concrete steps to help what Wilding calls quote-unquote sensitive strivers, hello, which are empathetic yet driven individuals, helps us break free from stress, perfectionism, and self-doubt to achieve confidence, overcome imposter syndrome, speak and act with assertiveness, build resilience, and find the confidence to work and lead effectively. Sound like anyone you know? Listen in and feel seen through this incredibly insightful and validating conversation with Melody. Melody, good morning. Thank you so much for joining the Working Wife Happy Life podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. It is a Monday morning and uh, rumor has it that you're going to stop me from overthinking and worrying. So let's <laughs> right, get just started. In time. Just in time for the rest of the week. <laughs> no, it's amazing. You are the author of the new book, Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking and Channel Your Emotions for Success at Work. Um, I think this is such an important message right now. It's a message I feel like we've been hearing a lot over, you know, at least my entire time as a career. Um, but now I feel like everything is much more raw mm -hmm. and exposed than it ever has been, right? Literally inside our homes. Um, so I feel like this is a really important message as we think about reemerging. And I told you my dog would bark. Um, <laughs> Uh, and think about reemerging into the workforce and being a little bit more intentional about how we show up there. Um, so excellent timing on, on this book. Yeah. And you know, what's been very ironic and something I didn't expect from the pandemic has been for so many of my clients being at home, the isolation, the disconnection has really led to a lot more self-doubt and almost paranoia because mm. we don't have as many uh, cues or nods of approval and validation specifically at work that we, we used to, you know, you, you could walk down the hallway and kind of get a, 
get a feel for your boss's body language and know you're in good standing. You mm-hmm. don't have that now. And so, right. so many of my clients have really been struggling with trusting themselves and have just been so preoccupied with, with doubt and overworking and trying to overcompensate for feeling insecure right now, which of, of course creates this vicious cycle. But yes, that was something when, of course, you and I were talking before we started recording and I I did start writing the book before the pandemic, but it's all the more timely right now. You're right as we reemerge and this whole time period has really woken people up to, am I really spending my time and doing work that feels fulfilling to me and feels like it matters to me or have I felt like I've been doing what I'm supposed to? And mm-hmm. so I think for all of those reasons, it's, you know, it's the perfect time to be having these conversations. I, I mean, everything you're saying here, I'm just, uh, obviously our listeners can't see me, but I'm nodding my head because look, I've, I've been at the same company for 17 years. I have a ton of great relationships, great friendships, people I've literally grown up with. And I have had so many moments of feeling so disconnected, right? Like those moments, like you say, where you're just, you're getting lunch, you're in the hallway, you're in the elevator, you're able to connect with people where you feel that validation of like, okay, they know I exist, right? Mm -hmm. Because also right now, like meetings and emails and projects, everything is as lean as it possibly can be. So there's none of this kind of softer connections Mm -hmm. to reassure really anybody that you're top of mind or mm-hmm. that you're, you know, in, in the mix of the conversations that are happening. And, uh, it is a very isolating thing. I recognized this in myself probably a couple months ago and I was like, whoa, I need to just start putting one-on-ones with people. And yeah. if they can't take them for a month, I'm not going to take that personally, but I'm mm-hmm. going to get that time with them. Um, and it's, so I, I share that for anybody listening, like, it can happen if you're new to a company. It can happen if you've mm-hmm. been there forever. Um, this is a real emotion and a real significant inhibitor, I think, to to how you confront yourself each day at work. 100%. Yeah. And as you were saying, you know, as someone who the, the softer sides of work that we don't think about right now, everything is so explicit and uh, scheduled and, you know, it has to be very tight as you as you were saying that those softer that human side is getting lost and specifically for people who are more sensitive or empathetic that feels like a big loss right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. Yeah. let's uh, let's back up for a second because I'd love to hear how you got into this type of, of specialty how did this come to be what was your experience why did you need to write this book <laughs> so It really came through a combination of both my personal experiences and my professional training. Mm -hmm. So I have definitely reached a point in my life where I feel like who I am and what I do has become very synchronous, but it definitely, that sort of integration was definitely not always there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, growing up, I was that classic A plus gold star, good girl. I'm sure many of the listeners can relate to that. Uh, lived to exceed expectations. I I did everything I was supposed to. You know, I, I got good grades in school. I went to a good university, graduated at the top of my class, balancing mm-hmm. multiple jobs. Um, that is where my, I always had a love for psychology and understanding people and really just the nuances of how people ticked. And I think that was a I know it was a side effect of being someone who is more highly sensitive. So I'm very perceptive, observant. I am very highly affected by my surroundings. And I think Mm -hmm. that led to me to have just this 
curiosity about people and how they function. So uh, studied psychology, went on to get my master's in social work from Columbia University because I wanted to be a therapist. I wanted to help people and really be in their heads <laughs> all yeah. the time. Um, but, you know, I, I graduated with my master's shortly as we were as we were coming out of the Great Recession. And on the urges of well-meaning people, of family, um, took a different route from therapy because lots of people said, you know, social work, very low paying field. Mm -hmm. You are not going to make money as a therapist. You have hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans. Why don't you do something different with this degree? And so something more practical, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I ended up getting a job at a uh, research center in Manhattan where both you and I are, are located. And so from the outside, it, it really looked like I had had it all. You know, I had done everything right. I a uh, job in a big city, you know, upward career trajectory, stream of accomplishments. But on the inside, I was a complete mess. I was constantly stressed, frazzled, restless. I just felt like an empty shell of who I had been when I was younger. And so rather than seeing that emotional state as a, as a sign, as a signal, as almost a call for help from my body and mind, I took it personally. I internalized it and thought, yeah, I must be the failure here. Everyone else looks so confident and in control, like they have it all together. What is wrong with me? And, you know, as I was saying before, I see this pattern in my clients where when we are not confident in ourselves, we overcompensate for our insecurities by pushing harder, trying to do more, people-pleasing, being more of a perfectionist. And that was certainly my story. And I did that until I hit a wall. Um, and I burned out so badly. You know, I, I spent all of my weekends in bed. I had no strength to even get up and do anything else. I had nightmares. Mm. My hair was falling out. Oh, and yeah, just so far from that empathetic, you know, passionate person I had been. And that burnout really forced me to take a step back and evaluate the thoughts and behaviors and actions, what was within my control that had led me to that point. And so luckily, because I had had my training in psychology and my therapeutic training, um, I also had the frame of mind to be building a coaching practice on the side. You know, at that time, it was a practical thing to be paying off my loans to have a mm -hmm. little extra income coming in. But I had been building a therapy and coaching practice for about three years on the side. And it was kind of a wake up moment that I had no choice but to use all those tools from my training on myself. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I began to really look at the root of my own behavior and realize that the problem wasn't uh, the, the problem wasn't me. The problem was that I, it wasn't that I was a failure or inadequate. It was that I had never learned how to manage myself correctly, particularly being a more highly sensitive person in this world. I had let other people's judgments and mm -hmm. expectations really override what was best for myself. And I had never even asked myself, what do I need? And I had, I had really invalidated any of that. So, um, in my coaching practice, you know, part, 
and I think uh, who I am, but I, I attracted people with this very similar personality, clients who struggled with this sort of constellation of challenges that, that mean at the combination of being highly sensitive and high achieving, mm-hmm. things like overthinking, emotional reactivity, poor boundaries. Um, and so that is where, you know, in, in being able to turn my own life and career around to really be able to channel my sensitivity as a strength, have now spent the last 10 years helping leaders and professionals do the same. Because for so many of us, we don't, we don't understand our trait. We don't understand how to channel these qualities or manage these qualities effectively. And mm-hmm. so we get so stuck in the downsides of our trait that we can't leverage the upsides. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's so much to what you were just saying. I, I worked with an executive coach a couple of years ago, and I was floored at how quickly it became uh, personal life coaching. Yes. Right? Like, why <laughs> do you think you lead in this way? And uh, I mean, really like unraveling relationships with my family and how that plays out with my oh, yeah. team. And, you know, I think that is a connection that historically as company culture, we've been very reticent to connect Mm -hmm. and it's obviously so deeply integrated. And I think also highlighting that incongruence with where you were, you know, getting your energy and feeding your soul Mm -hmm. personally on your side hustle and how like draining and, and kind of like pulling from you that was on the other side with, with your career. And I can totally relate to that sense of I've checked all the boxes and I see all these people around me and they are doing great and they have everything figured out and together and they're so happy. Why can't I just be happy like them? Why can't I feel satisfied, fulfilled? Like those are very real emotions that I think more people have um, than we're really talking about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I think uh, like we said, earlier this morning too. I'm on vacation this week. And you were like, oh, thanks for taking this this call. This is where I get my energy. This is my my pleasure is is connecting with people and being able to think about how we apply that in mm-hmm. in the workplace. Because, you know, I think also specifically to women, getting this different message of bringing your whole self and what do you hide so that you can appear more professional, like that kind of contortionist move of bringing only certain parts of yourself into the room is exhausting and debilitating. And I think we are, at least at Google, and I think some more progressive companies starting to talk more about this EQ and IQ type of leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's such a welcome conversation because frankly, I finally feel that these personality traits that I have as a leader are recognized as strengths versus you know, either something sweet or something to be overcome or something that's nice. Yeah. A nice to have Mm -hmm. a nice to have like, Oh, you connect with people. That's great. Anyway, let's talk about your strategy documents. (laughs) You know, it's like where, you know, I I just think there's been kind of long, like a dismissiveness about that, that now Mm -hmm. is getting an awakening, um, which is so critical. So, I mean, thank you for the work that you do and also for, the recognition and self-awareness of applying what you know to be true for yourself. Cause that's the hardest part. I think is stepping outside. Well, it's, it's really incredible that you have, you have such wisdom and insight into yourself because so many, so many people don't realize how much the personal affects the professional and vice versa. Right. I think with the pandemic, again, those lines have been blurred. So more people are uh, coming around 
to that mm-hmm. fact of how integrated, you know, you bring yourself everywhere and those patterns and behaviors show up in your work. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think many people realize that right now. And what's really interesting about what you were saying is yes, you know, I, I think very thankfully we're starting to see this shift towards valuing EQ and I hate the word soft skills, but that's traditionally what we call them. You know, it, I think it's better to think of them as human skills. Yeah. Um, and we're starting to see, I've been doing a lot of research on this, that um, every future of jobs report, I was just looking at one by the World Economic Forum that says by 2025, the most valuable skill sets are going to be critical thinking, communication, empathy, uh, the ability to have openness of thought. Uh, So it's all of these, quote unquote, traditionally softer skills that in this age of digitalization, automation, where a computer can do a lot of the technical things, what we need is is the human side, is the empathetic side, that nothing can replicate or replace that, which is what exactly what makes you so powerful. So um, I hope that's affirming and reassuring for anyone who has internalized that message of you know, sensitivity is is a weakness and that empathy and feeling deeply is something you should hide and stifle. Certainly that is my story. I felt like through up until my adulthood, I had become an expert at being a chameleon and hiding those mm-hmm. things and only showing the facets of myself that I felt were socially acceptable and that would make people like me. Yeah. Right? And then hiding everything else or being ashamed of it. Um, to my own detriment. There's only so long you can do that until your body and mind revolts. So, right. Yeah. It's, you know, I remember being at an event in Vegas and uh, a friend, a very close friend of mine was talking to a colleague and she's like, oh, you're here with Bethany. I love Bethany. She's so great. She's got it so together. And my friend just like, (laughs) like spit her (laughs) drink out and was like, her and I was like, oh my God, that's so adorable. We need to tell her I don't. Like, right? Like, cause like that is so um we've all been guilty of holding ourselves to the standard that is just not, it's not what's happening. And the yeah. more that we normalize that, I feel like the more that um people can kind of get out of their own way. You know, mm-hmm. it's okay to make mistakes. And I have not figured this out by any means, by the way. I have high anxiety. I definitely have insomnia. I rethink conversations over and over and over again. I can still tell you the most awkward hug I've ever had in my career, (laughs) right? Like these are things that I know no one else is thinking about. Mm -hmm. And I have ruminated over them for literally decades now. So like how, tell me, how (laughs) do we like, how do we harness that? Right? Because part of that is, I'm sure you have tips for kind of reframing that yes. like brain exercise. But then on the other hand, part of that is what makes me me. Mm-hmm. And so how do I find a way to reframe the right parts and harness the right parts? Yes, you're you're exactly right. And and in the book, I go into um, a framework that might be helpful to share with listeners around um, how to think about your qualities as someone who is more sensitive, what I call a sensitive striver. So someone who is both high achieving and a deep thinker and a feeler. There's six key qualities and these qualities, they can at once be a tremendous source of strength when they're well-balanced, but if they're unbalanced for whatever reason, because we lack the tools, we're overstimulated, whatever it may be, then that's when the, the downsides 
come up. So I can go through those and then we could talk more yeah. specifics. So uh, conveniently, this uh, these qualities form the acronym STRIVE. Really easy to remember. Sensitive strivers, six core qualities, STRIVE. So the first is sensitivity, which may sound very obvious. Of course, a sensitive striver is sensitive, but this specifically refers to sensory sensitivity. So having a heightened nervous system response to everything that happens both within and around you. So you're very engaged. You're very alive. Um, but if you are, we become very easily overstressed or overstimulated, especially if we feel put under pressure or as if we're being observed or watched or evaluated. Mm, That makes sense. So that's our S. And then we have T, which is thoughtfulness. And sensitive strivers, again, on that upside, were highly reflective, intuitive, we're deep, nuanced thinkers. We see inventive, creative, original solutions because we're um, sensitive people have neurochemicals and brain activation that actually leads to deeper processing of information. So not only do we take in more, but we process it more deeply, which means we tend to be very thorough and um, inventive. Like I said, we see connections. We're like five steps ahead of the group. Mm -hmm. So if you Mm -hmm. have ever been in a meeting and have been thinking, man, I should, maybe I should share this idea, but no one else has said it. So it might not, it must not be a good idea. That's classic sensitive driver. Um, so when our thoughtfulness is unbalanced, that can look like overthinking, worrying, rumination, like you were saying, And we can be so self-aware that we become self-critical, right? It's like Mm -hmm. it almost goes to the other side. Right. There's like a, there's a tipping point. Exactly. And then we have responsibility. So sensitive strivers, highly dependable. We are the person you want on your team because we can be counted on to follow through for everything. Very accountable. Um, But we can't bear to let people down. So Mm -hmm. we will be the one who stays late, sacrifices family time to get the job done. Our own well-being, staying staying up late, for example. Then we have our fourth strive quality, which is inner drive. And that is that desire to exceed expectations. So we are naturally ambitious, not -hmm. necessarily because we want to climb the ladder and, you know, be CEO. And if you do, that's great. But it's more about having this strong internal pull to be the best version of yourself, to constantly be learning, growing, challenging yourself to hit goals. Again, on the flip side, we can be perfectionists. We set set such a high bar for what achievement needs to be that it's impossible to reach, right? And then Mm -hmm. we don't reach it, and then we judge ourselves for not reaching it. Uh, Fifth, our V is vigilance. And so that is that attunement to the surroundings. So we sense subtleties and uh, small changes, fine detail in the environment. Um, our boss's body language, the the general mood of a meeting. If you've ever hopped on a Zoom meeting and you've been like, "Oh, this is this is tense. <laughs> Something's going on," without anybody saying anything, that is. If you've ever, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, so that is vigilance in action. Um, okay. So we're we're perceptive. But we can, when it's unbalanced, be on high alert as if, Mm -hmm. you know, our antennas are always up scanning for information, which is draining to kind of having a lot of apps on your phone, draining your battery. Oh my gosh. Um, 
Yes. It's so funny. I mean, that goes back to the sensory sensitivity, the first S in stride, Yes. Right? They're all very intimately connected and affect one another for sure. Yeah. Um, but with vigilance, we can, the trait of sensitivity is about pausing before acting. So it evolved as a uh, helpful trait because there was a certain group of people, about 15, 20% of people who, you know, back in prehistoric days, paused before running into an unknown situation. So, and those people survived more because they were more cautious. And so sometimes when our vigilance is unbalanced, we can imagine danger where there is none, uh, Mm -hmm. just because that, again, that tendency goes into overdrive. And then last, our E is emotionality, which I'm sure many people immediately relate to. Uh, sensitive strivers are sincere, empathetic. We tend to have big, intense, complex emotional responses, both positive and negative. So we are that enthusiastic person. We get the upside of the richness of positive emotions like excitement and joy. But again, we can get stuck in intense modes of anger, frustration, fear, and stay stuck there if we don't have the right tools. So I offer that because it's very, being being highly sensitive, being more attuned to your world can just feel overwhelming sometimes mm-hmm. and you don't know where to start. And so my goal with this framework is to help people figure out what threads to pull on first. And then mm-hmm. there, in the book, there is actually an assessment. You can go through a pretty thorough diagnostic that will help you rate how balanced you are on each of these strive qualities and then actually map that to a tool uh, to see overall, uh, get a visual picture of how balanced or unbalanced you are and compare that to where you want to be. So you can see where your biggest gaps are and prioritize where you need to focus first. Um, and so that's always where I like to tell people to start when they're thinking about, you know, how do I deal with this <laughs> existing and, you know, thriving as a sensitive striver in the workplace This is where you need to start because most of the time we have not been taught about our sensitivity, how it manifests and how to prioritize how to work with it. Right. And especially as you progress in your career as a leader, being able to, you know, for a sensitive striver to recognize another sensitive striver and be able to help them along this journey because, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I can certainly say Everything you just described in each of the the letters of that acronym, I have experienced both sides of the spectrum in different Mm -hmm. scenarios, right? There's been moments where I talk a lot, hence being the host of a podcast, um, but I'll say things in meetings and people say after, I'm so glad you brought that up, you Mm -hmm. know, that type of thing. And then I will be in meetings where the same thing happens to me, right? Mm -hmm. Where I don't, I feel like, wait, did somebody already say this in a different way and I wasn't listening well enough or I missed the point? Um, But one thing I will note, and I wonder if this has come up at all in your research or your coaching Mm -hmm. I feel, here's a little bit of an admission, I feel like I miss a lot of the politics nuance that Mm -hmm. happens in conversations because that is just not what I'm tuning in for. Yes. Is that a thing or my Very common. I cannot tell you in my group programs and in my coaching how much a focus is is politics at work. Mm -hmm. And it's typically because I think it has to do with the responsibility and inner drive side that we are so focused on wanting to get a job done, doing it well, 
we think the best of people that we are not, that is not what we're tuning into. Right. Mm -hmm. So that is extremely common. Clients all the time come to me saying, I hate playing the game. I hate Mm -hmm. playing politics. I don't want to do it because they think it's sleazy. It's slimy, right? It has that, that bad corporate, you know, ladder feel to it. But I always say, you know, reframe it as politics is understanding people and systems of power and dynamics in the workplace. And if if anybody is attuned and expert at doing that, it's a sensitive striver. It's you. Mm. And so it really to play politics, play politics. I don't even like that phrase, but to navigate it in an authentic way, it's about building relationships and connections with people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so it's, some of it is reframing how we think of it as something that we, um, you know, rail against and something that kind of we we immediately have this defensive like disgust response to to actually I need to think about this differently and if I yes there are some people that play the game of politics and are slimy about it but you don't have to do it like those people just because you don't have good models doesn't mean there's not another way to go about it right that's so that's so freeing to hear that frankly because it is one of those things where, you know, like I said, that's been one of my long securities where I'm like, I just don't play this game well. And mm-hmm. I've actually shared that with some other colleagues and they're like, you totally do. Like, look yeah. at the information you get out of people when you talk, you know, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I didn't think about it in that way. So that reframing is really um, helpful and freeing. And I feel like that's where you're talking about the strings to just kind of like put it into a different bucket, have a yeah. different perspective on it. Um, that's really really amazing. Now, tell me about how, when I get stuck in this cycle of rumination, like I said, that awkward hug, there's been two in my career, two awkward hugs, <laughs> two by awkward the way. Hugs. Yeah. Yeah. One was my first day at Google. Um, and, uh, it was a woman that I, I just was so excited to be there. And I knew her from like the, the time I was a temporary worker and I saw her in the hallway. And once you start going in for a hug, like you've, gotta complete it there's no way to yeah there's no way to get out of it Mm -hmm. and it was you know one of those I mean now it could probably be seen as some form of harassment like I could tell she didn't want it but I couldn't stop it uh it was awkward the other was with a a a current boss so we'll we'll keep that one was anything inappropriate it just was awkward and you're like god I wish I hadn't done that um uh so Tell me, like when you get into those deep, dark corners of your, you know, I am, I am worthless Bethany moments, like how do I get out of that? How do I stop that stupid cycle? Because I know if like practical me knows how stupid it is. Mm -hmm. I know there's no way this man and this woman have ever thought twice about it. But in my head, it's been like this definitive milestone. Right, how, right. How do I stop? Well, and that's a great example of thoughtfulness. That's that's unbalanced, right? Because you're a naturally deep processor, and I'm sure there are times where that sort of, you know, you're a dog with a bone when you have a problem, and you will not stop until you figure it out or you find a strategic plan to deal with it. So it's a tremendous strength at times, but here your mind is trying to solve a problem that is impossible, right? There, there's nothing to solve here, and our minds are are problem solving machines. And so that's what they want to do. And your, your mind will be like a car trying to start. If it, if it has something it's thinking about, it will 
constantly be trying to close that loop, but these are not helpful loops to close, <laughs> right? And so that's that's exactly what rumination is. It's beating yourself up. It's wondering if there were better options, replaying your mistakes, worrying about other people's judgments. Um, and so uh, I want to offer a few different tools. Um, so one of them, there, there's a three-step process I teach my clients, which is interrupt, accept, and then redirect. So I'll go through each of those. So interrupt is really about the negative self-talk since that's what rumination specifically thrives on, right? It's not just that you're thinking about these situations. It's the layer of judgment and Mm -hmm. self-criticism over it. It's like, such an idiot. Why did I do that? I could tell, you know, I could tell his micro, you know, action that he didn't want me to come in. And why didn't I pull back sooner? And you just go, and I'm such a weirdo and I cannot, I can't act right around people. You just go down this spiral, right? Get out, get out of my head. (laughs) I've never been there before. I swear. Um, And so it's, it's really those automatic knee jerk reactions that we need to address first. And there's a few ways to deal with that. Uh, I mean, some of it is just being aware of what's the story I'm telling myself about mm-hmm. what happened. Mm-hmm. My my golden coaching question, I call it, is what am I making this mean about me? I went mm-hmm. in for a hug, which is a fact. That is a fact. But your interpretation is I shouldn't have done that and I'm an idiot for doing that. Right? So separating fact from interpretation. Yeah. Very helpful. As is even just the technique of slowing down your thinking. Once you once you are aware of that automatic uh, track playing in your head, silently telling yourself stop, imagining a red stop sign in your head, or this isn't helpful, kind of just catching yourself there. Um, I have a lot of clients who like to keep a rubber band or a hair tie around their wrist and flick mm-hmm. it uh, as kind of you know a negative association when they start yeah. thinking about it. Um, I have other clients who like naming their inner critic. So give that voice a name. Like that's, that's nasty Nelly in my head coming up again when telling me like, why did I do that? Shouldn't have done that. Now I'm a failure and they're going to fire me because I'm a weirdo. Um, Naming that inner critic gives Mm. you a little bit of pause and psychological distance from it. Right. That's such a, I, I don't know why that just struck me. Like if, like when you are going down that path versus identifying it as something of yours, mm-hmm. almost identifying it as something that you could you could disassociate with. Yeah, because we we fuse so closely with those negative thoughts, right? We don't see them. Um, we see them as a reflection of our inadequacy and not what they are, which is just a fleeting. They're just fleeting words and pictures in our heads. Mm-hmm. And I know, trust me, I know that in the moment it is hard <laughs> to do that. But if you can practice some of these techniques we're sharing on less emotionally charged situations than right. on the more emotionally charged ones, it's going to be a little more available to you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that that's step one, that, that all falls under interrupt. So okay. we're interrupting um, earlier in that spiral. So we hopefully gain back control. Uh, second step, we have accept. And rumination, um, again, th- it's about judgment. And it's usually characterized by wishing we did things differently, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or beating yourself up over the woulda, coulda, shouldas. Um, and 
in both cases, as I said before, you're trying to solve an unhelpful problem. You're wasting your valuable time and energy fighting against reality, which the reality is this happened. Uh, I need to move past this. And so a much more helpful perspective is something called radical acceptance, which is uh, not the same as just resigning yourself or being passive, but it's about taking ownership and responsibility for, I did this, maybe there's a better way to go about this in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about adjusting your perspective to take in the facts of the situation, um, even if you wish you could change them. Mm. And it's about assertively moving forward instead of staying stuck in that helpless stance of why me? This always happens to me. Um, This is unfair. Uh, This isn't, uh, you know, I have a lot of clients who get stuck in the perfectionistic mindset of it wasn't supposed to be like this. It was supposed Mm -hmm. to be different. Mm -hmm. And that's just, that's not how the world world works. So radical acceptance is about embracing reality instead of fighting against it. Yeah. And even just saying things like to, to yourself, like, this is where I am now. I don't like this situation, but I can't change how it unfolded, um, helps you just ground yourself. You almost want to think about your rumination is kind of like a three-year-old child. And what would you be telling that three-year-old child if they were kind of having a fit over this situation? You would say, you know, you can be upset about this. That's fine but let's figure out how we move forward, right? Mm -hmm. So it's about that sort of channeling that constructive uh, solution-focused thinking and just um, acceptance of where you are now instead of trying to fight against what you would have wished it to be. Yeah, it's so, and I'm, as you're saying this, I'm thinking of my most recent assignment where it was a 180 from what I was doing professionally. And Mm -hmm. I spent the first six months of that, you know, I've now been in the role for three years resisting it. Mm. Like, no, 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 this isn't where my career was going. This isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. This is a derailment. I've got to get back. I've got to get Mm -hmm. back. And it was, uh, I, I wouldn't say it was six months lost by any means because it was a necessary journey to get to mm-hmm. where I'm at now, where there, like you're saying, there's that acceptance of, oh, this is different. This is unique. This is a valuable thing. I'm learning new skills. I couldn't have done this over there. This is, you know, what are the lessons I have to uncover here? And mm-hmm. um, it's really been quite a emotional journey of, mm-hmm. you know, taking a work assignment and thinking of it as a judgment of character, capability, mm-hmm. interest, passion, uh, potential, all of those things. Whereas they're like, actually, we just need this job done over yeah. here and we think you can do it. So could you please do it? You know, yeah. it's like it's So when you pull yourself back, what I love, and I want to get to the third piece, but what I love about your advice and your frameworks and your explanations of these scenarios is you're looking at the whole, both sides of the coin, mm-hmm. the whole picture, right? right? Like there is, everything is about finding this balance and it's going to be different for each person or each situation, to be honest. So the more you familiarize yourself with where you're tipping over into that unhealthy or unhelpful Mm -hmm. or unchangeable piece, that's where you can kind of start to self-regulate a bit. Yeah, 100%. And I loved, I love that example you gave of the work assignment. And I'm thinking of a a client who uh, was in a really fast growing tech organization. And 
she was really personalizing the fact that her um, her team brought in a co-lead to work beside her. So basically split her team in two and, mm-hmm. and had a co-lead, co-lead alongside her and my client retained half of her team. And this client was devastated by this because they clearly don't think I can do the job and yeah, I'm such a failure as a leader when in fact it was it was not a symptom of her at all. It was a symptom of how quickly the organization was growing and needed to scale that they just needed more capacity on right. the team. It had nothing to do with her. And so we really worked a lot on the last piece of the cycle, which is redirection, which is what you did. So after you've interrupted those thoughts, you've accepted this is where you are, that's where you get to redirecting your thinking to channeling that depth of thought, that drive, the natural drive that you had to do well in your role, to Mm -hmm. be open to how was this situation for me instead of against me and opening up to see, seeing this situation as a new possibility, right? So asking yourself, this is where, um, you know, so much of my book and my approach is putting myself out of a job. I like to say, because I want to turn my clients and and readers and people into my, in my community into self coaches. (laughs) I want them to be able to coach themselves. And so that's where this process comes in of being able to ask yourself, you know, how do I make the most of the circumstances that are in front of me? Um, how might someone who is confident respond? So maybe you don't feel confident in the moment, but if you were your best self or uh, let's say your mentor, who is the most confident person you know, how would they respond and react to this situation? With your awkward hug, you know, maybe your mentor would just laugh it off and then, you know, mention it at the Christmas Zoom party in a few years about, wasn't that so awkward? <laughs> you know, promise I won't do it again and just make a joke out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, how, how would I advise my closest colleague to approach this? Because so many times, sensitive strivers, we are excellent mentors. We are great at giving advice to other people. And so if you can uh, put yourself in, uh, put the shoe on the other foot and you're not the one with skin in the game, it's a lot easier to access some of that productive thinking. Yeah. Um, and so th- those I, are just a few. Yeah. And I was going to say, notice I'm bringing up scenarios from years ago, right? Like I've I've had the opportunity to do the work. I'm not talking Mm -hmm. about the things that are in my brain right now, right? Like this is, and, and it's what's, what I'm so excited to have this conversation, have your book in my hands right now is that, uh, I have intentionally funny enough, my lap, my work laptop died on Thursday and that was the last day before my vacation. I was like, this is, this is the universe. My Mm -hmm. friend, this is saying like, like I have to ask for like emergency access on my personal laptop each day. I want to check my email. So I'm like, this is great. This is literally a reset. And, and I do think, um, you know, this year of isolation, this year of reflection of kind of who am I, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Where am I doing it? What are the stories I'm telling about myself? What are the um, characteristics I'm telling myself? When I said I was looking for X, Y, Z, am I really looking for X, Y, Z? Or is that what I feel like I'm supposed to be looking for? You know, kind of unwinding all of these things. I love when you said pulling apart the threads. Mm -hmm. That's what I've wanted to do this week with my time off, with my dead computer, with my like really repurpose, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and I think that 
you know, I, I know some of my listeners are on kind of the earlier phase of their career, right? Like there's a certain thing that comes with, I'll say it just, I don't want to be arrogant in terms of saying cachet, but like I have, there's a known quantity and, and quality of my work. So that does allow me to have different uh, flexibilities or, mm-hmm. or confidences that I probably wouldn't have had 10 years, you know, 15 years earlier in my career. And so for those people that are kind of, you know, in those moments, in that time where they're building up their habits, right? Mm-hmm. Like now is where they're having those experiences that I might've had 10 or 15 years ago. Not that I'm not having them still. I'm just saying they're, they're different or a little bit more seasoned mm-hmm. or you know, ruts in the road or crusty, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> but how do you think about, or, or am I making a distinction that doesn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. Like, these people are, you have this thing called the honor roll hangover. Are yeah. these things that are ingrained in us from like day one of, you know, like, is there a generational or like a stage of career aspect to this? Yeah. It's, it's, in, it's interesting. You ask that because I think what I tend to see with people is that, uh, Earlier on in your career, again, since most people are still learning about themselves, they have not um, come across the trials, tribulations. They haven't hit these crises moments yet, or they may be, unfortunately, like coming up on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, I think so many of us learn about our our sensitivities and managing our ambition and what we need through hitting some of those conflicts and and down moments. And then we gain personal wisdom and we know, okay, this is what I need for myself going forward next time. Or like you were saying, we build up a series of wins and that is what gives us confidence in ourselves. So I do tend to see people who are a little younger in their career tend to be a little more on the very unbalanced side of being a sensitive striver, just because they haven't had those experiences yet. Um, But certainly I've worked with people all the way up into the the C-suite who have many of these challenges of, you know, overthinking, uh, lack of boundaries in particular, mm-hmm. um, over-functioning is a big one. And that is part of the honor roll hangover. Um, and so I, I see that all the time because what, you know, as a Marshall Goldsmith, who is kind of, you know, the OG coach, he says, what got you here won't get you there. And so there are many things that were never, never read the book, but the title is kind of all you need to know. I have that mantra in my head all the time. Yes, Yes, exactly. No offense. You should go buy his book. I'm just saying (laughs) the title is is a great book, but the concept, you know, is very sticky. And, um, so yes. So, you know, I, I see a lot of times the honor roll hangover is basically this idea that the habits and what works for us to be successful in school, early on in our careers, you know, striving for the straight A's. And I I actually have one client right now who is in a role where she just hasn't been set up for success. And she actually has been, well, hasn't been set up for success, has been really beating herself up for that about, uh, again, I'm such a failure in this role. I'm so inadequate. Why am I even in this company? They made a bad choice by hiring me. And we've worked through a lot of that and actually got her to a point where she uh, is now changing and into an internal role in the company that's going to be more aligned with her skill set, where she wants to go. It's going to be making her more money. So a win all around. But this client said to me the other day, you know, I feel like I'm not getting an A right now. 
mm-hmm. in her role. Like she said, I'm not, I feel like I'm not getting an A. And that was so hard for her to deal with because all her life, she was the woman who got an A, who top of her class and always blew things out of the water. And that had worked for her until it doesn't. And right. so that's the honor roll hangover is kind of this uh, addiction to achievement and external validation rewards that follows us from honor roll days into the workplace. Yeah. Well, it's so, it's so funny. Cause my, uh, my boss will use that phrase a lot. She's like, I'm an A student. I like, you know, mm-hmm. and she's, she recognizes it. And it's funny. Cause I, that's become a concept in our leadership meetings. I'm like, okay, are we okay being B plus on this? Yes, because yeah. that that's where we need to be that. at to get this done. Um, and you have a concept in your book of giving yourself a permission slip, which <laughs> I love. It's literally a slip of paper. Like I allow myself to blank. Yep. This will happen blank. I'll get it done by blank. You know, giving yourself that ability to be less or, or that permission to be mm-hmm. less perfect. Um, and, and it's funny because within that concept, as I'm saying, I'm like, of course I'm not perfect. Right. Like I, the way I ruminate over things, I know I'm not, but I still strive for that. And that's the difference, right? I don't think that everything I execute is flawless, but I desperately want it to be right. Um, yeah. Tell us about the permission slip. Like how have you seen clients use it? What is, why was that so important to include? Yeah. So the, the permission slip, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a nod to, you know, our love for being good students and, and so academically oriented, but that entire chapter is really about, um, letting yourself off the hook from all of the expectations and the shoulds that you think you, you should be doing, uh, Mm -hmm. and really following what you think is right for yourself and letting things be easy. Because so many times we overcomplicate, we put roadblocks in our own way because we, uh, because we overthink about something or we make it more difficult or we worry about how other people are going to perceive us rather than going with what we think is right or trusting our gut or our intuition about something. And so that permission slip process is about giving yourself validation and internal approval instead of trying to source it and seek it from outside of you, which we always do, right? Uh, You know, even little things in a meeting by saying, am I making sense? And you're, Mm -hmm. you're looking for people to say, oh yes, very smart. Yep. That's great. Fantastic. And there are all these small ways we try to seek validation. Or for example, one I see a lot um, is kind of this overextension of, uh, the, the kind of team mindset, which is I have to run my idea by 10 people before I feel confident going with it. You know, I need to make sure everyone is on board with this before I go with it. And yes, of course you have to seek alignment, but your intention behind it should be that it shouldn't be, well, I want to make sure everybody likes this or that they think it's a good idea because I'm unconfident in it. Right. Right. Um, Right. Right. Like buy-in versus like, you know, paralysis, consensus paralysis. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Exactly. Yeah. No, I can hear the sirens and I love them. It's (laughs) ambience that reminds me of the city. Um, I, I, you know, I just think what you're doing is so important. I think it's important in the workplace. I think it's important in our personal lives. Like it's really about how you kind of show up for yourself in the world Mm -hmm. in terms of that awareness of, you know, this is 
the the world is perceiving you in in one way or another mm-hmm. even though in your head it could be a completely different story and and reconciling those things and turning it into strength and power and insight is is the way that we you know move this from you know, a burnout indicator mm-hmm. into a powerful force of, you know, just living more intentionally and more mm-hmm. awarely. Awarely is not a word, but I'm going to make <laughs> it one. Um, because that is that is the truth to sustain. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we are just like constantly in like this inner friction that is just very exhausting and draining. So thank you. Thank you for bringing such meaningful and actionable and concise uh, concepts to something that I think so many of us are feeling and haven't been able to put words to. That means so much. Thank you. And if, if I may, if we have a second, can I just add sure. one more note, which Please. is, you know, I know, I know you care deeply about changing the societal norms and, and the stories we've all been told about what we're capable of as, as women in the workplace. And that diversity is very important to you. And so, high sensitivity and being a sensitive striver is a form of neurodiversity. It's invisible. Mm -hmm. You can't see it, right? But we are wired differently. Neurologically speaking, we process differently than the other 80% of people around us. And so if, if any of the listeners out there are people who care about diversity and inclusion in the workplace, it's essential. You be proud and you speak to your sensitivity and you don't have to say you can say I'm a sensitive striver. I would love for you to do that, but you don't have to say I'm highly sensitive in kind of making yourself like a, a fragile flower, but speak to, you know, my strengths are depth of processing and I'm someone who really understands people and the nuances of situations. And that means I bring original ideas to the table. You can speak to the upsides of it and paint it as a strength, but Mm -hmm. we need people to step into that and to do that, that is the only way we are going to change this narrative that uh, that patriarchal idea that emotions are a weakness and you should never let people see you sweat and take that out of it. Um, so I just want to add that in before we, yeah. Yeah, we and it, it, but it's also so meaningful because, we, sorry, you just dropped a stat <laughs> that 80% are not sensitive strivers. Is that, yes. so, did I hear that correctly? Yeah, so one in five people about 20, 15 to 20% of the population has this genetic trait difference that leads to higher sensitivity, that leads to having a more attuned nervous system. And there are very real neurological patterns and different activation that happens in your brain because of this trait. Um, so it's a, it's a very real scientific thing. Wow. Mm-hmm. First of all, I that number sounds so low to me. And that yeah. goes back to what we talked about earlier, where you tend to attract people that are in the similar, yeah. you know, we do like the colors exercise, yes. you're a blue with an underlay the of disc. a gold. Yeah, and yeah. But yeah. Um, but it is, that is really fascinating to know. Mm-hmm. And I think so, uh, again, another like feather in our cap of the uniqueness yeah. and, and the science behind it. So mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you. If our listeners want to connect, of course, I'll include it in the write-up, but please share um, your book goes on sale May 5th. May right? 4th. So May, May 4th. May the 4th, May the 4th, be, with 4th be with you. Star Indeed. Good luck. That date. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Anywhere books are sold. And do you have a site where they can engage with you as well? Yes. So you can find me at MelodyWilding.com. You can find more about the book at any retailer, but also at MelodyWilding.com forward slash book. 
Um, and yes, you can also find me on social. I'm everywhere at Melody Wilding. Awesome. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to figure out which permission slips I go back to work with next week. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. Mm -hmm.